Can you think of the last time you were watching something or saw something and you thought to yourself, how did they, how did they do that? Like it, it kind of amazed you like how this actually happened. Uh, it, maybe it was something, uh, you know, kind of novelty uh, in sense. Uh, I was, we were on vacation. We saw a, uh, have you ever seen one of the Cirque du Soleil shows? I mean, they are, they are amazing. Um, just the, the talent and the abilities and all the things. But you're watching people do acrobatics and spinning and balancing and all the things that they're doing. And I, I'm thinking, who, who thought to learn how to do this? Like we were at the men's retreat and we were trying to throw these hatchets. They're throwing these things at actual people spinning at 100 miles an hour on things. I'm thinking, who thought to practice this like all these years? How did they come up with this? Uh, uh, the, there was a lady laying on her back spinning these uh, baton things on her feet. And I thought, again, who decides that this was a good idea and that I would spend my entire lifetime perfecting this that had come? And so I was just kind of amazed, like, how did they get to this place? But, but I'm, I, my mouth is, my jaw is dropped open. I'm watching this thing thinking, these guys are incredible. Uh, or maybe you saw this week that uh, SpaceX out here, I think it's Hawthorne, California, right? Elon Musk and his group, that they are going to send, uh, they're, gonna head to, they're heading to the moon in 2023. Not only are they going to the moon, but they're taking a passenger, a civilian passenger, a Japanese billionaire fashion guy who, who's, I guess, paid his, uh, for a ticket to go. But all of a sudden you're thinking, wow. Can you imagine this? I was in the movies the other day and I saw the preview of this movie that's coming out about the first man to walk on the moon and what it must have been like in those days to think, how did we do this? How were we able to do this? And now, uh, not only is there going to be this this uh, journey to the moon and go around, they're taking a passenger. And did you know you will be able to watch this in uh, in high definition, real time video as if you were experiencing it yourself? Now, apparently, there's this whole speed of light thing, so it'll be a little delayed uh, with it. But, I mean, it kind of blows your mind thinking, how did we get to, like, the the fact that we have this ability to do this? So, time to time, you kind of see these things. Now, my guess is you've probably taken this for granted, but we've been going through the book of Acts, and we're watching in this book this kind of ragtag group of people who changed the world. And if it hasn't occurred to you yet, it should occur to you today. How in the world did this group of people do it? How did this group of, of men and women change the world the way they did? And if you don't think the world is changed by this group of people, let me ask you, why are you sitting here today? You are here 2,000 years later in this little suburb of, of Fountain Valley, California, because of what this group of people did. A group of basically people who laid down their nets and stopped be, being fishermen or stopped being tax accountants, or as some of the descriptions were, they were sinners and prostitutes and others. This group of people came together and something was working in and through them in such a way that they changed the world they were in in that place and it continues to be changed. A billion people have met today to worship God in the, in that, in the same way they did uh, those 2,000 years ago. Something incredible has happened. And, and as I look at this story, as I look at what was happening, three things stand out to me. Number one, 
we see that they're not doing it in their own power, but in the power of, of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said this, that when he left, that he would not leave us as orphans, that he would send his spirit. And one of the things that we see in the book of Acts as we're going through this is the power of God's spirit working among God's people. And so you'll see it in every story. Jesus still continues to be very active, but he is acting through, as we see through God's spirit, uh, we see the power of the spirit. Second, you see this, these people are absolutely 100% convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection is something they are convinced is something God did something. He acted in history. And as a result of God acting the way he did, they are, they have, they are living different lives. But number three, uh, you're going to see this. And I think you'll, you'll see it, it, it each week. These people were faithful to live out the faith that they embraced. Uh, we see things like this, descriptions like this, that the word of God was spreading. And that peop- the church was growing uh, day by day. People were being added to their number day by day. This was not a movement of a few charismatic individuals. This was the church, the people of God, believing something had happened, embracing it, having their lives changed by it, and as a result, changing the very world that they were in. And everywhere they went, and everywhere, we see this just continues to spread. And so we've been going through these, these kind of back-end chapters of the book of Acts, because the first 12 chapters captures what Jesus said uh, he was going to do. He said, you're going to be my witnesses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill you with the Spirit. You're, the Spirit's going to come. He's going to come on you with power. Now, here's what's going to happen. You, you won't be able to really to resist it. The Spirit's going to take you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, this kind of immediate area, and these, this immediate audience. And the first 12 chapters, we, we looked at a while ago, uh, do that. But we're picking up, in, we picked up two weeks ago in chapter 13, where the gospel begins to go to all the world, all the earth. It's expanding to even where, where we will see how it, it's entering into our lives and our world today. And, and now you may be thinking, well, this is great. It's a great historical moment, but um, I can't change the world. Like, it's just too big. It's too fast. It's too powerful. I can't change the world. Maybe not. But you can change your world. And we call that the 8 to 15. We, we, we say this phrase here at Beach Point, 8 to 15, which is your relational world, your little sphere of influence. And what we ask you to do is, have you ever stopped and, and thought and prayed about the little world that God has placed you in? Your coworkers, your family, your neighbors, the people you share a soccer team with, whatever it is, have you ever thought how God has strategically and supernaturally been working in such a way that, that you, are, you, have, you have a place of influence for God in that little world? And so we're inviting you to think about uh, that very thing. And so I want to encourage you to think about that as we look at Acts 15. Why don't you turn to Acts 15 uh, in the Bibles? Uh, we started in 13 two weeks ago. We're in chapter 15 today. And if you don't have one, I, I encourage you to grab one of these. But if you have your life journal, open to an open page where you can take some notes. But we have these on your way out. Grab one because they're helpful in a couple of ways. And I think high school students, you know, you have, your, you have a student version of this. So Justin will give you one. But we give you these. And the reason why we give you this is one, not only so you can take notes, that you can keep your thoughts of what God's impressing on your heart. But inside, there's a reading plan. So we have a whole rhythm we want you to have during these eight weeks together. A reading plan. So tomorrow, we're going to read a passage all together as a church. And we do something called SOAP. Uh, it's up here if you want to write it down. But it just simply stands for right, the scripture that you're going to read. Then some observations. As you read through it and pray through it, God, what, what stands? here's what's standing out to me. And you're writing down some things in it. 
And then what's called application. You're asking God, what, what is it that you want to impress upon me? And then a, a prayer that kind of captures that moment. And so what we're hoping is that you have just some connection point, however long it takes, some connection point with God during the week. And so what happens is as you're, you're, you're writing your notes from, from this, as you're doing the soap, we want you, we want you to have an encounter with God. I, here's what I don't want. I don't want the, this time to be like a gas station where once a week you fill up and then you kind of drive around and you don't really think about it until you're on empty again. Then you come back in, you fill up, and you kind of move on. I want you to learn how to self-feed. I want you to learn to listen to God's voice because he wants to speak to you. And so slowly and, uh, uh, we're going to just keep practicing, 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 listening to God. And then the great thing that happens is we take these experiences into what's called our life groups. Our life groups are just small groups that meet all throughout the week. If you're not in one, you can go to beachpoint.com slash life groups. You can get in a group uh, uh, that works for you. You can check out all the different groups. Uh, but we want you to have this rhythm of a personal time with God, a corporate time with God, and a group time where you're growing uh, through this. So that's what we're after. So let's, uh, let's think about what God wants to say to us in Acts chapter 15. So where we left off, Paul and Barnabas have been sent out. They're spreading the, the good news everywhere they go. And as a result, people are coming to faith, both people who have a Jewish background, and now we're starting to see a non-Jewish background. And this is creating a little bit of tension as these two worlds come together because those with a Jewish background are saying, wait a second, we need to ask these people with a non-Jewish background to kind of do some of the practices that, that we have always done. So let's pick up in, in verse 1. We'll kind of see. We're going to look today at what happens when the mission uh, begins to, to uh, get stuck. What do we do in that moment? Uh, we'll see what happens. So uh, starting in verse 1, we read this. That certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the, unbelie- or teaching the believers that unless you're circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the believers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now let's stop there for a second just to see what's happening. So you, you see, as the Spirit directed, they're going out, they're sharing the good news. You have these, these two groups of believers coming in. But what's happening is the group is growing. You see that, that there's a group saying to these non-Jewish believers, you need to do the Jewish practices if you truly want to be saved. Men, you have to get circumcised. Uh, middle schoolers, ask your parents what that means. Um, and uh, you have to obey all the traditions and laws. And then you can be truly saved. And so notice what happens. A, a sharp dispute, which I think is fascinating because Paul described himself as the Pharisee of Pharisees. He's like, no one was more loyal to this, this th- line of thinking. But he says, you guys have got it wrong. And so they're, they're, they're demanding uh, these very things. So what it meant was, uh, as you see, they're saying, these, if these people want to come into the church, 
then they have to, they, they were demanding circumcision for the men and all these laws and tradition, which meant what? Practically, at the new members class, it was all women and children and all the dads were staying out in the parking lot and saying, you can have this thing, but I'm, I'm out. And so this, this dispute uh, develops. So notice verse 6, what happens? They begin to talk about this. The apostles and elders met to consider the question. And after much discussion, Peter got up. He addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the disciples uh, might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. So they meet, they debate, probably a little yelling going on, little things going on, but the, but the, the core question is, what does a Gentile have to do to be saved? And Peter stands up and says, look, there are 613 laws. Circumcision is one of those. And he starts talking about this idea. Notice what he's doing. He has this compassion as he's going through this. He says, look, I have—think about it, guys. I, I have struggled to keep these laws. You have struggled to keep these laws. Our ancestors have struggled to keep these laws. I can't even remember some of the laws. Like, are we allowed to eat llama meat? Is it only on Tuesdays? Like, what kind of fabrics can I wear um, in my yoga pants? Or is it just, uh, just against the law to wear yoga pants if you're a man? Like, all these things that he's, they're, they're debating. They're trying to, he's trying to, he's like, remember, like, we've tried to wrestle through all this stuff and get our heads around it, and you and I know it has been impossible to do. So why is it that now we are demanding this on these new brothers and sisters? And then he reminds them, don't you remember what God did? He, he saw it right. I wasn't the one who thought this up. In fact, God had to push me into it, but God sent me to them and, and this goes back, you can read it in uh, Acts chapter 10. He, he said, he sent me to them. I proclaimed this good news. And they believed it. And God saw in their hearts that they were, they were saying yes to it. They were changing. They were saying, I want to follow this Jesus as my, my Lord and King as well. And God, when, when that was happening in their hearts, God saw it. And then what I saw was the Holy Spirit come down, fill them. I saw the sign of God's approval of this. And Peter begins to say, look, I have seen this. Now, this is, I think, a significant thing because even for Peter, he has ha- he shared in this struggle. So uh, last week, we showed you a map of where all this stuff was happening. And it was happening in a region called Galatia. And so when Paul wrote his letter to the Galatian church, they were dealing with this problem. And in that letter, you actually uh, read about, Paul has says, look, even Peter got it wrong. Peter, who had it right, he was hanging out with these non-Gentile people and then these Jewish people came and put some pressure on him so he stopped hanging out with them and I had to tell him, Peter, you know this is wrong. So Peter is someone who's already been rebuked by this. He's already been corrected and so he's coming from a place of, I get it. I failed as well but you and I know this is the way it is. And notice what happens in verse 12. They give Paul and Barnabas now a chance to speak. It says the whole assembly then, note this, 
became silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. I love this because notice what's happening. They're listening and they're discerning what God is doing. They're they're trying to see what is it that God is doing. Not what I want, not what you want. What does God want? And they're listening to the stories and they're listening to what's happening. And then this amazing moment happens. Notice verse 13, it says this. That when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to, to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins, and I will, re- I will rebuild. And I will restore it. He's reading from the book of Amos. He says uh, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. So now James says this, so here's my judgment. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them and tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now a lot is happening there, uh, but it is fascinating what's happening there. So first you need to see this. He says this, uh, we see what happens in this transition, that this man James stands out. And he says, here's what I think should happen. Now James, this James is the brother of Jesus. This is a huge moment for our faith. Because I don't know if you remember that in the story of Jesus, as Jesus is moving around the countryside, uh, proclaiming uh, this good news and sharing that he is the the one that God has sent, uh, it says that his brothers are are people who don't think this is right. They think he's crazy. So um, can you imagine, what would it be like if your brother said that, well, I'm the son of God, and, uh, and you should believe in me because I'm the king now of the universe. And if, if, so if your brother starts saying this very thing, you start to think to yourself, mm, mom, we need to talk to him. This is getting a little weird. It's getting uncomfortable for the family. And that's exactly what they were doing. So how is it that James has now ascended to this position of authority where he can stand among all these people? Well, I'll show you in just a moment. But what happened was Jesus appeared to him. Jesus appeared to him in his resurrected body and in love, even though his brother had, had, had pushed him away, had said, I love you enough to, to, to let you see the reality of what God is doing. And James has now become a leader in the church. This was not a moment for James to say, oh, well, I might as well give in. Look at my brother's empire. It's kind of working and the money and the power and the fame is going to be there. No, not at all. In fact, uh, there was a different James who was leading, James the brother of John, and we read just a couple chapters earlier that he was killed for his belief. And so now the brother of Jesus is saying, even if it costs me my very life, I'm standing with you and I will help lead this movement because this is right and this is true and this is happening. This is a powerful moment to see that there is reason for our faith. Uh, we see this in the brother of Jesus. But notice his, his response is this. He says, look, what do we see happening? The Gentiles are responding. The Holy Spirit is testifying. And the, the word of God proclaimed this long ago. We knew this was going to happen. And he's reading from the prophets and he's saying, look, 
God's word confirms this very thing. So notice what he says. Here's how I think we should move forward. It can be summarized in one word. Love. Love. We're going to love these, these brothers and sisters. We're going to love them. And notice how he shows this. Uh, he says this. We're not going to make it difficult for them who are turning to God. He says, do not make it difficult for them. And this is, this is incredibly powerful for us to see. I love what he says in this moment because he's saying we are not going to add anything to Jesus, to what he, who, to what he is or what he always, always uh, is. Um, and this is what we do, right? When we think of our 8 to 15, when we think of this little world, we think we need to clean them up first. We need to kind of get them more culturally like us and then ask them to believe. And so we say, it's, look, if you're going to come be a follower of Jesus, you're going to come be a part of our church, you're going to have to change your political party. Or you're going to um, have to not drink alcohol or at least only keep one beer in the fridge at a time. Um, or you can't read Harry Potter books anymore. Or if you do, only tell unbelievers about it, but don't talk about it to unbelievers because some of them freak out about it. And we start adding this whole list of stuff, right, of what you have to do so that you can come in. And James says, why do we do this? Don't make it difficult for the Gentiles. Don't make it difficult for the unbelievers. Don't make it difficult for anyone to come in. Don't make it difficult for your 8 to 15 to come in to the life of God. So we love them. And, and as we walk through this, we, we see this unique way of what he's doing. Notice that the, the challenge with this is uh, uh, this is hard for us. I remember Jason, who was, uh, he was uh, our, one of our pastors on staff. He, would, uh, he shared about the first time he went from being in the youth group to coming on a Sunday morning. And that first Sunday he came, he came into church. He'd never been in church before. He'd never done any things. He's wearing a hat in church, okay? And he, he stands up to sing the first song, and he feels this up across the back of his head. He gets slapped in the back of his head. And the lady says, take off your hat in church. We don't wear hats in the Lord's house. And so what are we saying to Jason? If you're going to come, you can't wear a hat in God's house because our American tradition is it's disrespectful to wear a hat indoors. Okay? So it's Jesus plus this tradition we have. We ha I remember one story, and I thought this was crazy. I remember back, there was a guy sitting up in the front row, and he's wearing a Budweiser shirt. Okay? So what did the ushers do? They politely asked him and escorted him to the back where he could sit back there because it's more appropriate. If you're going to wear the Budweiser shirt, we're glad you're here, but please sit in the back where you won't offend the rest of us with that. And we hear those stories and we kind of laugh, but what do we really feel? Shame on us. Shame on us for thinking that. Now, before we shame all those people there, you know you do the same thing. You have all these things, of that, uh, things that you're adding on to the gospel it can't be Jesus plus anything else. It's, a, it's, it's faith in Jesus. I think one of the best ways uh, uh, that we see this, uh, as we're going to walk in this uh, in a second, we'll see just this commitment. So we see that the way that they love, they love these people. But notice the other thing that happens is he then says this. Notice the, the, there's just a beautiful balance of what the church is supposed to be, that we love, that they are to love others. So uh, the challenge he says is this, that here's what we can ask of them. 
don't, and it looks kind of weird to us, you know, don't eat meat strangled by that, of the strangled animals and on blood and all this. And you're like, what in the world? So uh, in our context, this makes no sense. In their context, it made every bit of sense. Because you got to remember, you have people that are coming into faith from, the, from a pagan world and pagan worship. And so they would go into these temples. They're, what they were used to is going to these temples and worshiping these gods and goddesses. And there would be these practices, uh, things that you would eat or sexual practices that you would do to honor and worship these gods. And they're saying, look, this is going to be really confusing. If you're going to follow Jesus and, be, and make a commitment that he's going to be the leader of your life, you got to let those other gods, you got to leave those other gods behind and follow him. And so it was a reasonable thing to ask of them. But notice the other thing that they're saying. It, 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 we, we might miss it, but they say, they're basically saying this. We know in every one of those places, our Jewish brothers and sisters are there. And we want you to be sensitive to them. Because they're going to be really confused. If you say Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, you should come to our worship gathering. But then they also see you go into, into the temple of this goddess and you're doing some kind of fertility, whatever you're doing, they're going to think this is some weird cult. There's this some uh, strange thing. I need to eliminate this. I need to destroy this very thing. And so there's a sensitivity. Notice what they're asking. Please be sensitive. Love your Jewish brothers and sisters. They're saying to the Jewish brothers and sisters, love your Gentile brothers and sisters. And to the Gentile brothers and sisters, love your Jewish brothers and sisters. This beautiful picture of love uh, so that they can maintain unity. So all this we see something, and let me share these, these just two things that I think are uh, really important as a result of this passage. First, the gospel is never compromised. The gospel is never compromised. The mission can't be compromised by traditions or preferences or, or any other thing. It can never be Jesus plus any other thing that we will add to it. If we look closely to what they're saying, notice what they've said. In essence, they've said something like this. Salvation is by grace alone, in faith alone or through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is the result of God's grace. He acted on our behalf. You didn't do anything. You didn't tip the scales in your favor so that your good outweighs your bad. You did not uh, do enough good things so that Ted Danson sends you to the good place instead of the bad place. That You didn't do anything. God's grace made it possible that we could have the salvation. And this salvation came by faith in what? In Christ alone. You put your faith in nothing else, in no one else, and you've turned to him. Paul would later write it this way. Very, uh, you see this theme. He writes to the Ephesian church. It is grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And so we see this grace alone, uh, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Now the biggest challenge I think for us when we see something like this is through faith. What do we mean by faith? And sometimes for us, when we hear that, it simply means just agreeing intellectually with something that's happening. Checking a box, raising your hand. Do you believe that that happened? Yep, I believe it. But there's no expectation that anything will be different from then on out. And I want to tell you, in, in that day, that's not how they heard that. That's not how they heard this word. That's not what they thought was expected of them. 
Here's, here's one of the clearest ways I can show it to you. Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, said it this way. Mark 1, he says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And here's what he asks. As a result, he's announcing good news, gospel. And he says, here's what you must do. Repent and believe. Repent and believe this good news. So he's saying, hey, I'm making an announcement. This kingdom is breaking forth. You don't get to vote on it. You don't get to change it. It's just, it is happening. You just have to decide if you're in or out with it. And so repent is just this word that means to, you're going to have to change. You're going to have to turn the way you were going. So change the way you're thinking and change the way that you're acting and believe the good news. Uh, Now what's interesting is this very phrase we see being used historically in the years before Jesus and in the years after. In fact, 66 AD, we can, we can uh, point to uh, uh, someone uh, using the, this exact same phrase. What would a, what would a leader say? Uh, someone would come in and announce a, a kingdom or a king or a leader or something, a messiah, and then they would ask this. This is happening. Here's the good news. I'm announcing it. And they would say, repent and believe. Jesus didn't have the, the trademark on this phrase. It's just what they understood. The expectation was what? That you would turn from your loyalties of whatever else was going on or whatever else had your devotion and you would now give your devotion, your allegiance to this new kingdom, this new leader. What Jesus was asking of us is, I have done this, I'm doing this on your behalf. Come with me. Come the expectation was loyalty, devotion, allegiance. This was the expectation. We cannot add anything to it. So Paul summarized this good news this way. God has done something. He writes to the Corinthian church. He says, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, this good news I preach. Here's what I preach to you. You heard it, you received it, and now you've taken a stand in it. You didn't just say, yep, I think that's right. You said, no, I am standing. My life is standing on this and I am not moving from it. By this gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. And here's the good news. What I receive, I pass on to you. Here's what I experienced and now I'm telling you and you will tell others. Here's what's of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and that to, then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Here's his brother. Then to all the uh, uh, apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born, saying, no, of all the people who least deserve to have him appear to, for some reason, by his grace, he appeared to me, and so I am giving you testimony. And so he's saying this, here's the good news, I'm announcing, a king has come, his kingdom is breaking forth, and you can be a part of it. Turn and believe, give your allegiance to this king. And it's incredible news. Think about what it is that he's saying. I, 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 I think in some ways this idea of faith, we have to see this as this, this idea of devotion. I love the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, real faith shows itself in obedience and obedience show, uh, reveals real faith. Uh, so friends, 
Let me announce to you one, one more time good news. In the midst of our rebellion from God, God has acted on our behalf. And he has done the unthinkable and the unimaginable. He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. God sent his one and only son and his son, Jesus, has come as a willing servant to give his life as a ransom for ours. And he lived, he took on flesh and he lived the life we could never live, the perfect life. And as a result, he became the perfect sacrifice to give his life as a servant. He gave his life in death, even death on a cross. And after he gave his life, God raised him and he ascended to the right hand of God that, that someday at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is king, that he is Lord. And I announce this good news so that you know this, that if you will turn from whatever other loyalties you have in your life to whatever other devotions, whatever empires, whatever kings and, or whatever things have your heart and you will make him the Lord of your life, if you will follow him, that he will give you eternal life. He will give you his life, abundant, everlasting. And he will wash away your sin everything from the past, present, future, he will wash it away. He will never count those sins against you. And he does not want to just meet you later. He will fill you with his, his spirit now and you will, you will experience the, the, uh, his spirit, his presence, his power in your life. And his spirit will give you gifts and abilities you did not have before so that you can join this king in his mission to redeem this whole world. And when he comes again, you will reign with him forever and ever and ever. I announce these things to you and invite you to come, to give up any other allegiance you have had and give it solely to him. Repent and believe this good news. Come to him. He wants nothing more. He has demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt how much he cares for you, that even though we were sinners, he would act in this way on our behalf. And you were invited into this kingdom. And so I want to invite us, before I hit this last point really quickly, we need to have a moment because some of you want to say yes to that. So let's bow in prayer for a second. And I just want to say, if there's anyone here who has never given Jesus your life to just join me as, as I pray, there's no magic words in these prayers. But maybe this will help you. Uh, if you want to say today, Lord Jesus, I want to give you my life today because I know I can't save myself. I've tried. I know every time I try to do it right, I get it wrong. And so if you are offering to save me, to forgive my sins, I receive that gift of, of incredible love. And with your help, I will follow you all the days of my life. I can't do it alone, so fill me with your spirit. Strengthen me so that I can be who you want me to be. I can become your follower and learn to live the life that I know will bring me the, the fullness of life you've meant for me. And if that's your heart, just simply say, Lord, that's what I want. That's what I want. As best as I understand it, as best as I know, that's what I want today. And so Jesus, we know that for some of us, we're just, we're saying yes to this really as a, as a recommitment of our loyalty and devotion of our life to say you have our allegiance, you have our whole life. 
Forgive us for the ways that we've shared that uh, with anything or anyone else. And for those of us who this is brand new today, I pray that you would fill them with a sense of your joy. You see the heart, as Peter says. You know when that moment when true faith begins. And so for those in which it's beginning today, I pray that they would experience the joy that is taking place in heaven. That you say that even when one in a room like this, even if one sinner were to repent, that all the angels rejoice. Even if there's one in here today, I pray, Lord, that they would feel that joy as they begin this new life with you. And so we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Well, let me close with just this one thought because I want you to know this, that when you said yes to your life with Jesus as your King, you're also being brought into a family of believers. And we see in this moment, this family of faith, as eclectic and and as dysfunctional as ours is here, they're trying their best to get it right. And notice this, I want to leave you with this, that the unity of the church is always preserved always preserved. I love this moment because of how strong it is that in this moment they do everything they can in love to figure it out. And I want to ask that we would be the same kind of a group of people. We will have challenges. We will have problems. We will make mistakes. We will, we will struggle. It's just part of us doing this. But when we do, let's in love keep working it out. Let's have a ruthless commitment to each other. And if these guys can overcome this problem, certainly we can overcome anything that we're going to face. There's no perfect church. And if you leave here looking for the perfect church, it will stop being perfect the moment you get there, okay? We all know this. We're, we're people that because we have been forgiven and, and we are being transformed. We're not, we're transformed. We're made right in God's sight, but he's working in us. And you and I are learning to say yes to things, but we're learning to say no to things as well. And so let's be patient with each other as we work through this. And I love the fact that these people, they, there was, there's this great line in verse 28, you see, they summarize how they came to the conclusion. They said that what seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit Man, I, I pray that that will be how we make decisions, that there's this discerning process where we say, this is what seems right to us and the Holy Spirit. Uh, about 10 years ago, when the church came to me and they said, Bill, we think you should consider being the next senior pastor. I said, I'll only do that if you, you really search the heart of God and you make sure this is what God wants. Because if this is just the easy solution, you will ruin me, you'll ruin my family, and you'll ruin this church because I'll burn this thing to the ground, man. It will be, it'll be disastrous. But what I, I was so thankful for was that group, as much as they were loyal to me and loved me, they went to God and said, God, is this is what you want? And it was funny. I remember one person told me, um, uh, uh, his wife smacked him in the arm after a meeting and said, would you just hurry up? We've already figured out bills who God wants and we just need you guys to get on board. But the whole church was like praying and trying to discern this process. And as I, even if I, you were here back then, the whole church came together to agree on that. 
And if we're going to do that from the very top, then let's, let's, uh, uh, let's be committed to doing that in all the different layers. And so I want to encourage you. The reason why we have a Beach Point update today is because I've committed to you to be as transparent as possible of where we're headed and what we're doing. You're invested in this with your time, your talent, and you give money to the things that we do. I want you to feel uh, that there's a, a confidence in this. And so I encourage you to come today in this. But uh, my hope is this. See, here's our big idea as we leave. Uh, we've, we close this time. I hope you've seen this, that challenges don't have to threaten our mission or our unity. They don't have to threaten our... our in this story... The mission is not compromised and the unity is not compromised, although it was a significant challenge and they're not going to be for us either. And so let's be committed to that. So let me invite you to stand together as we sing these uh, final songs and close out our time together. Let's be committed that it is in Christ alone that we find our life and our our being and our purpose and that we lead and we move forward uh, to honor him in this way. So let's, let's sing these final songs as we close.